0: first reading is Exodus 19, which you'll find on page 53. And if you want to find the other reading before we get going, it's on page 857. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests And a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. And the second reading is 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to first Peter chapter two, verse four to twelve. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to god that you may declare the priests of him who called you out of the darkness in his wonderful light once You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day he visits us
1: let's just bow in prayer father we want to thank you for your word and we pray now that as we consider it that you would uh, really uh, change our minds and change our thinking and uh, change our hearts and we pray the same for the children as they uh, study your word as well in jesus name we ask these things amen um, one of the memorable conversations that uh, Andrew and myself had whilst we were on holidays last week in South Korea was at a train station. Uh, we had uh, just stepped off a, off a train and we were walking through the train station we, when we were approached by an elderly Korean man uh, who asked us a stunning question. He approached us and he said, excuse me, but may I ask you this question? Do you know Jesus Christ? Now, happily, we were able to say to him, as a matter of fact, we do. And so we started a conversation with this uh, elderly man. It turned out that he was born and raised in North Korea that uh, he had become a Christian whilst he was a, a chemistry student at university because someone had shared with him about Jesus and he understood the gospel and he uh, put his trust uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and because he did that uh, he was put in prison uh, he was uh, locked up in a jail cell now people like you and me we can only Uh, We can only imagine, I don't even think we can imagine what a North Korean prison cell would be like. I can't imagine it. Uh, He spoke to us about how the Lord actually rescued him out of prison somehow, I don't know how, but God rescued him out of prison and then he made the long and treacherous journey uh, out of North Korea uh, and uh, eventually ended up in south korea where he defected and then spent uh, the rest of his working life uh, as a pastor of a church um, teaching others and pastoring others in the lord jesus christ Uh, as i say he was elderly in fact he was now retired from his uh, pastoral work and he told me he spends all of his days at the train station uh, walking up to strangers and asking excuse me but can i ask you do you know jesus christ it was interesting because uh, it really only took uh, a matter of minutes where uh, when we we realized that uh, there we were we were three men of different race a different race uh, different nationality a different very different age bracket But as three very different men, we felt like we actually belonged to each other, uh, as if we were really the same people. Now, uh, that was because we realized that we were united. We were brothers uh, in Christ. Now, of course, it's not every day that you happen to stumble across a North Korean uh, Christian who is a defector who has been to prison for the sake of his faith, but most of us will have experienced that same sense of oneness when we have uh, met up with a, a person who turns out to be a Christian, and a genuine Christian, and within a matter of a few minutes we uh, start to feel like we've known this person all our lives. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I guess it's because the, very, the thing which is at the very heart of our life the, very th- the thing which is the very basis of who we are uh, is the same for them. And we realise that we are one people. Now, friends, that sense of oneness as God's people began uh, right back in the Exodus, uh, what we've been looking at here in church over the last uh, uh, month or two, And I understand that there's been some pretty good sermons on Exodus whilst I've been away. Uh, As we come now to chapter 19, we can see where we're up to in the Exodus story. Actually, I'm jumping ahead a couple of chapters, and I need to confess that that is not by design, that is by accident I got the wrong passages. But we will deal with it. It'll work out fine. As we look at uh, chapter 19, we see where we're up to in the story Under Moses, the people of Israel are now out of Egypt. Uh, The plagues had brought Pharaoh to his knees and the separation of the sea, the parting of the sea, had drowned the pursuing Egyptian army. And now in verses 1 and 2, a couple of months have now passed. They're now into their third month post the exodus And where do they find themselves? Well, they find themselves at the foot of a, what does it say in verse 2? A mountain. There they are. They're at the mountain. It's Mount Sinai. Now this is significant because remember when we started off in Exodus way back in uh, chapter 3 when uh, Moses met up with God at the burning bush and at the burning, the burning bush, well, this is the same location because it was at the mountain. And when Moses was, was uh, getting to know God and also trying to avoid what God was telling him to do, which was to go to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh, uh, God told him about certain signs which would, would happen, which would confirm uh, his, his identity. And one of those signs was that he said that uh, after I've brought the people out of Egypt, there's going to be a day when the people of Israel are going to be gathered at this mountain and they're going to be worshipping me. That's in chapter 3, verse 12 of Exodus. They're going to be worshipping me, and that'll be a sign that it is God and God alone who has brought about the rescue from Egypt. And here they are. They're at the mountain at the foot of Mount Sinai. And here Moses was again going to have a conversation with God. And I've got to say that the, what follows this conversation between God and Moses is one of the most important conversations recorded for us in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, it t- turns out to be it's the constitution of the nation of Israel. Uh, because it is God's covenant with Israel. Let me just refresh your memories by reading verses 3 through to 6 for you again, if you care to have that open on page 53. In verse 3, this is what it says. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and and and, and Yahweh called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and You are to tell the people of Israel, and here it goes, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, what is it telling us? Well, first of all, it tells us about Israel's identity. I remember an experience I had about twenty, um, over 20 years ago. We're ministering out in Inverell, and uh, there's lots of dirt roads, a lot, lot of countryside out there. And we're driving along this dirt road one day at a reasonably slow speed when I saw something on the road up ahead of me uh, in the middle of the road. And as I got closer, it was I was in awe uh, at this creature. It was, a, it was a huge eagle that was just standing, standing right in the middle of the road and he wasn't going anywhere. I stopped my car and I was just in awe of this creature. Eagles are like that. And when they spread their wings, oh my goodness, what a creature. They are so great that the great nation of America chooses the eagle as its symbol because the, the, it is a great symbol of strength and with outstretched arms it is a a symbol of of unstoppable soaring movement. And what we see here is that it wasn't because of Israel's strength that they got themselves out of trouble in Egypt. No, it was as if God was an eagle who had swooped down, had picked them up and had carried them off and was gliding with outstretched wings carrying them into safety. In other words, It's a great picture. It's a great picture which says that it is all God. God has done this. Nothing about Israel. Now, take a look at verse 4, because where is it that God has brought Israel to on outstretched wings? Uh, It doesn't say that he brought them into the desert, does it? Although he did. That would be true. It doesn't say that he brought them into freedom, Uh, which he did, that also would be true. What does it say there in verse 4? That God has brought them to, what does it say? himself. Himself. That God through the Exodus has brought Israel to himself. And that is that he has established his relationship with them by this great saving act these descendants of Abraham. In fact, in verse 5, he says that if they obey him, then they will have an identity which is unique in all of the world. Now, the whole world belongs to God. Uh, Every nation belongs to God. Every people group belongs to God. Every person belongs to God. And it makes great sense, isn't it? Because guess what? God created the world and everything in it. The whole world, every person, every people group belongs to God, but the promise here is that of all people that Israel would be his treasured possession. Now, why? Well, in God's plan for the world, Israel would have a special purpose. Do you see what their purpose is? In verse six? In verse six, in verse six, his purpose for them is this. Have a look at what it says. He says that uh, you will be for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom of priests. Holy nation. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's think about those things for a few moments. First of all, um, kingdom of priests. Uh, friends, because of, because of who we are, because of our rebellious nature, because of our rebellion against God, there is a great gap. There is a great chasm which separates us from our creator. It's called our sin. Uh, God is... Perfectly righteous, and because of our sin, we are separated, we are cut off from God. Now, a priest is like an agent, uh, like a middleman, uh, a middleman between fallen humans and our Creator. And so, we see that in the role that priests performed in the Old Testament, that uh, on the one hand, Uh, a priest would offer up sacrifices and prayers to God on behalf of the people. But on the other hand, uh, the priest would speak God's words to fallen humanity. Well, here we see that the whole people of Israel, the whole nation were to be like a priest to the world. Israel was to speak God's word to the rest of the world. But they were not to be like the rest of the world. No, not only were they to be a uh, kingdom of priests, but they were also to be a holy nation. That is, they were to be different. They were to live not their way, but to live God's way. Now, I was speaking to a non-Christian man the other day who worked as an electronics engineer for a television manufacturing company. Straight away, you know, this did not happen in Australia. We know, Do we have a manufacturing industry in Australia left? Right, you know, production in, he was an in, electrical in, electronics engineer working for LG. And I was, I was sharing the gospel with him. And I said to him, it's like this, when I try to install my brand new uh, digital TV at home, I think to myself, I'm smart, I can do this, I can figure it out, and 20 minutes later, when it's all in a mess, uh, someone in the household says to me, "Um, uh, do you think you should read the instruction manual? Maybe that might help. And of course that's what I need to do. And that's what uh, Israel was, was to do. Israel was to live according to the maker's instructions. Uh, Israel was to communicate God's word to the rest of the world, and they were to live in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions so that Israel would be a light to the world. A light to all the nations, so that the whole world would know the way to get back to the true God in relationship with him. Now you remember, of course, the promises that God made to Abraham. Three promises a people, a land, and a and a blessing. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 god said to abraham that all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you meaning through his descendants all people on the earth this is very outward looking this is not just centralizing israel alone this is israel being a light to all of the world all peoples on the earth are going to be blessed through you rescued by god a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. But it wasn't automatic. Um, Israel had to decide whether or not to sign up for this. Uh, A week or so ago, I had to sign an agreement. Let me tell you about this agreement. It's quite interesting. Uh, You know, there's North Korea and there's South Korea, and there's this territory that separates the two. There's different layers of territory. The the outer layer is, is the civilian exclusion zone. And then inside that is the demilitarized zone. And there's a section in that called the joint security area, and that's where the North Koreans sometimes come and meet with the South Koreans and they talk about things. And there's a line that goes through the middle of the Joint Security Area, which is called the Military Demarcation Line. Uh, You do not step over that line. Uh, Step over that line, and we were told, you will be shot, Uh, no question about it. So before we went into the Joint Security Area, metres away from the Military Demarcation Line, Our uh, US, the two US soldiers who were escorting us and the people that we were with, uh, they were military police, they they sat us down in a room and they handed us uh, an agreement and a pen with which to sign the agreement. Let me read to you part of the agreement. It, It went like this. It said, and I quote, the visit to the joint security area will entail entry into a hostile area and the possibility of injury or death as a direct result of enemy action. And you had to sign that to say, I understand it and I agree to it. How long do you reckon it took Andrew and me to think about that before signing on the dotted line? About two seconds. <laughs> about two seconds, and we said, yep, we can sign up for that, no worries. Friends, it seems that Israel thought about God's covenant for approximately about the same two seconds before they signed up for it. Notice the conditions. In verse 5, they were to fully obey God and to keep his covenant. The question is do you understand that? Do you agree to it? How did Israel respond? Verse 7, check it out, verse 7. In verse 7, So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey him fully. We'll keep his covenant. What are they saying? They're saying, yep, no worries. We can do that. Where do we sign on the dotted line? How long do you think it took before they started breaching that covenant? Well, I've got to tell you, the very next action of the people of Israel that's recorded for us in Exodus in uh, uh, chapter 32. They gathered together, they collected together all of the gold that they had brought with them out of Egypt. They melted it down and with that gold, what did they make? They made a golden calf. They worshipped the calf, they worshipped the idol, saying these are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. Didn't take long, did it? Not a terribly great commitment to what they'd signed up to. It didn't take long and yet this was only the beginning. The beginning of a long history, a history of Israel forgetting about God. Forgetting about what he'd done in bringing them out of Egypt and establishing that relationship with them. And just blending in with all of the nations around them when they were supposed to be distinct, when they were supposed to be a light to the nations around them. But Israel's failure prepares us and points us to Jesus. Uh, For Jesus is the true Israelite. Everything which Israel was meant to be but was not, Jesus is. Jesus was perfectly holy, uh, for at every point he perfectly obeyed uh, God the Father. Jesus is the perfect priest. He is the perfect go-between who offered up himself as a sacrifice for sin, so that sinful people like you and me can be forgiven and reconciled with our creator. What it means is that the one who was perfectly holy was the perfect priest who performed the perfect sacrifice. Now, who did Jesus do this for? Well, he did it for you and me, didn't he? Are we Israelites? Are we descendants of Abraham? I don't know about this particular uh, group us gathered here today, but I do know in the first service there were at least two people with Jewish um, background, Jewish blood running through their veins. Uh, <clears throat> one of them in the Sunday school at the moment teaching the kids. Uh, but I take it that the vast majority, if not all of us, are not Jewish, that in fact we are we're Gentiles, uh, that we are from other nations. Now, Can I tell you, can I ask you rather to turn to the New Testament um, to 1 Peter chapter 2, just for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, you'll find that on about page um, 858. Uh, The Apostle Peter has written this letter to a church which is made up of uh, most likely uh, Jewish people, and also Gentiles, uh, non-Jews. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles who have heard the gospel and have put their trust in what Jesus has done for them. And uh, take a look at verse nine, just how he speaks to them. In verse nine, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, He goes on to say, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, how does he describe this group of Jews and Gentiles? Well, he describes them as chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds a bit like God addressing the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, doesn't it? That's what it sounds like. But it's addressed to people like us. It's addressed to people from all races and all nations and by extension, as we read it, it's addressed to Australians. <laughs> For if we are people who trust in Christ, then we are the new Israel. United not because we've been saved through the exodus, but because we've been saved through the the new exodus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus for us. Uh, You know, um, standing in a train station, in Korea with a man who was a complete stranger, we realised that we were actually the same people, brothers. And we thought, well, because we're brothers, because we're the same family, then we've got the same father. And because we've got the same father, why don't we have a talk with our father? So there in this crowded train station, three of us stood there, and, uh, and we just prayed. And we, uh, we thank God for who he is and we thank God for salvation in Jesus. And Andrew and I, we prayed for this North Korean man and we prayed for his, for his ministry. And he prayed for us and prayed for Australia and for you guys as well. He said, I want to see the gospel spreading in Port Macquarie. He'd never heard of Port Macquarie before, but he wanted the gospel to spread through us because he considered us to be his people, more so than most of the other people that were walking around us at the time. Royal priesthood, holy nation, that's us. That's what unites us, and that's what gives us purpose. We are God's representatives to our world. Now that's big, isn't it? That's a big call because God has a purpose for us and his purpose is first of all that we should therefore be holy, that our commitments, that our priorities, that our morals, that our love, that our behaviour should be so distinct from the people around us that we actually touch people's lives and we touch their lives for the good. We touch people's lives in such a way that, well, some may not, may not like it, but that there will be many who will say, well, I'm actually attracted to that. That person has something, some meaning, some depth in their life that I need, and they might actually seek after the God whom we serve. We are to be holy people. We are to be different. So my question to you, therefore, is how is your holiness going? Uh, What are the areas in your life where you know that you've just blended in with the rest of society, where you need to be distinct, need to be different? What are the areas you need to change? God's purpose for us is to be a holy people. God's purpose for us is to be a kingdom of priests who actually shine the light, who actually tell people about Jesus. Peter says here that we should be people who declare the praises, uh, tell people about the one who has called us out of darkness and into the light of his glorious kingdom. You know, the, uh, the man at the train station, he, uh, <clears throat> he had a, a, a handful of tracts that he was handing out to people. And it was, obviously it was all written in Korean, but he said to us, look, you might as well have one of these tracts in any case. And he handed us this tract and... Uh, we thought we'd, we'd love to know what it says, but uh, it was written in Korean. and We thought, well, it's actually not of much use to us. But hey, we can give it to someone else who can read Korean. And there was a friendly uh, lady that we met, um, and we got talking to her and had great conversations with her. And uh, we told her that, we, that we, we're Christians. We, we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would be really good for her to know the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And so I I gave her the tract. And uh, she was thankful for that. And as she glanced through it, she pointed out to us a couple of lines in the tract in Korean that said, once you've read this, why not think about passing it on to someone else so that they can read about it as well? And she said, well, you've passed it on. And she said, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to find someone to pass it on to as well. Is it any wonder that 40% of the population of South Korea claim to be Protestant Christians? Uh, biggest group amongst them actually are Presbyterians. And it was explained to me that uh, the Presbyterian, Presbyterian Australian missionary was the first person to die for his faith uh, as a missionary in, uh, in Korea. And it was because of him that many other Presbyterians came and shared the gospel in Korea, and now they're pretty keen to come to Australia and to share the gospel with us. And I'm saying, please come. Please pray for us. But what about us, though? What about our sharing of the gospel? How is your telling of the gospel going? Now, we don't actually have a train station here in Port Macquarie where you can spend your retirement and your spare time handing out tracts to people as they get off the train. But here's a question for you. If we did have a train station here, would you be prepared to do it? Or would you rather be playing golf and doing lots of other things? We need to think about what opportunities uh, are available to us. We need to be praying to God for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And then we need to be taking up those opportunities to tell people about Jesus, can I put a plug in for the carols on the lawn night? Uh, there's some brochures for that are available at each of the entrances. Grab a brochure, pray about someone to give it to, give it to them, because they will hear the gospel on that night. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your glorious gospel that unites people from all different backgrounds as one people, as your chosen people as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We pray for ourselves that we would be holy people, that we would live lives that are so different from those around us, that people may see our good deeds and, and glorify you. Father, we pray that we would be people who are passionate to declare uh, the praises of you, the one who's called us out of darkness into the light of your glorious kingdom and your, through your gospel. Grant us opportunities, we pray, and grant us the faith and the courage and the conviction to take up those opportunities that more and more people in our town and in our land would turn to you and join your people. Amen.